Welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast, your weekly podcast where we take a deep dive examining knowledge, philosophies, wisdom and insights to help you to lead, manage and coach in football, sports and life. Leader Manager Coach is presented by Rob Riles. Rob is a qualified coach with a League Managers Association qualification and a science and medicine background. He has worked in the football industry in Europe, USA and Africa at international, premiership, league, non-league and grassroots levels with World Cup and European Championship experience. Hello and welcome to another edition of Leader Manager Coach. It's Rob Riles welcoming you to another programme. As always, great to have you with us. Thanks for tuning in and uh, welcome. Hope week's going well. I hope that uh, everything's going the way that um, you intend. I'm sure it's not in a lot of ways because that's life. But um, hopefully what we are talking about and discussing and guiding you towards on uh, leader, manager, coach is giving you some guidance towards getting on the journey a little bit further down the road because that's what it's all about, isn't it? And today in that vein, I want to talk about something that's related to the habits program that we talked about a couple of episodes ago. And this one is called Rituals. I want to talk to you about rituals. Now, rituals are something that I'm kind of quite big on in my own life because of the fact that I've found out that helping people to get a little bit ritualistic actually helps them to achieve what it is that they want to do. And I found it something that's really, really valuable. So I'm hoping that what we talk about today, you can take some great takeaways and use what we're going to talk about to enhance and facilitate the positive changes in your own practices. So what we're going to do is we're going to divide it into five little parts. I'm going to talk about who and, and, and how this came about, who inspired this and the little bit of background about it. Then we'll talk about the why, why it's important. Then probably to a lot of you folks out there, we're going to talk about the how and how you can implement it. Then we're going to give you some examples and then we're going to give you a few little, um, a few little takeaways at the end just to underline everything we've talked about. So let's start with the underlying principles and who are the, the grandfathers, the great leaders or the, the people who inspired myself, if you like, just to, to investigate this a little bit further. Well, there are actually, there's probably hundreds and hundreds of people throughout the world, but there's four or five that I've come across that have actually produced some real quality work. And I'm going to quote all of them so you can go away and you can actually delve deeper into it and find out more about it. And in no particular order, I've talked about this guy before, and I'm still really deeply studying his great book, Deep Work. That's a guy called Cal Newport. Now, Cal Newport in his book, Deep Work, which we've done a whole podcast episode on, I've currently got a fairly substantial article in production about this because I feel it's so good, which I'm going to share on the Leader Manager Coach website at some point in the not too distant. So Cal Newport from his great book, Deep Work, a guy called Mason Curry, who has written a book in 2013 called Rituals, where he looks at 
over 100 of the world's great thinkers, creators and writers and gives an insight into the rituals of their life that which helped them to achieve what they did. The up and coming, should I say, or current author um, because of his current success, Atomic Habits, with his book Atomic Habits, James Clear. And an old favourite that, again, we've done another podcast episode on in the early days, which is absolutely up there with my favourite books of all time, um, Mastery by the inimitable George Leonard. So those are all the guys or the people who have inspired me and who provide all the underpinning and all the foundation for why rituals can be for you and your teams and your players and the people on your, you know, in your teams and uh, in your organizations, why this can be such an enormous, enormous part. And uh, another guy that I forgot to mention who uh, I've quoted again before, the prolific reader and, and again writer Ryan Holiday, who discusses habits and rituals and is a great proponent of this of this aspect of uh, of achievement so those are the people go and check them out and uh, see which one floats your boat so they're the people who provided all the inspiration none of this is my my own work it's just my take on it that I wanted to share with you so those are the, those are the inspirations so why why then are rituals so important well again in order to try and help you and for you to go and help your players and your teams and your athletes and the people in your organizations, those who you coach, manage and lead. I've kind of narrowed it down to three three facets. And these facets are from doing some study into all those great people who've gone before and done, done, this, done this work. So the first one I believe is that rituals sit side by side and fit like a jigsaw into the human nature paradox because as human beings we all have tendencies and we have ways of working and we all have those you know the same desires if you like although obviously they're they're presented in different ways we all have the same challenges fundamentally you know whether you live in the first world or the third world and human nature is human nature it's been relatively unchanged for all the time that the human beings have been on this planet, as far as we know. So rituals, by their nature, fit in side by side to allowing us to achieve things by being or dovetailing. Let me put it like that. Let's use that great phrase, dovetailing with the basics of human nature, i.e. they don't obtrusively sit against how human nature works. You know, if you want to get on in life, if you want to get on in an organization, if you want to, if you want to achieve things, it's probably a much greater, a much easier ride, let's put it like that. And it's probably a much greater philosophy to actually aim to work with people and with organizations and to synergize with them rather than be obstructive and go against the tide. It's not something that history seems to say works. It seems to work much better if we go with the flow, as it were, and we dovetail and work with the principles of life. So it works with human nature. Rituals work with the human nature that we're all endowed with 
as a genetic consequence of being born. Number two, Einstein, I believe, and you know, please email me and get in touch if you think I'm 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 missing this one. I I, I think that it was Einstein, or certainly he was quoted as saying that compound interest is actually the eighth wonder of the world. Now, if you question or discuss or you analyze the individuals who have become amongst the most financially wealthy on the planet, I don't think that there will be one of them who would argue with you in terms of the power of compound interest. Now, this is not a a financial podcast. It is not about making money as such, but the principle of compound interest applies because the compounding effect is essentially how the process of life moves forward because it's all about starting when the sum of the game appears to be at zero in terms of its actual physical uh, manifestation. There doesn't appear to be anything and then we may put the first little brick down or we put the first shovel in the ground or we make the first phone call and then we engage in the next process. It might be a writing process or a listening process or a meeting process or a practice process and then we continue. And over a period of time, and that period of time can be analyzed as anything you like, but over a period of time, you will see a compounding effect. And in terms of the real value of compounding, it's kind of embodied in the principle of two plus two equals seven. So that if you break it down to its constituent parts, you think, "Mm, well, there were so many hours put in there and so many hours put in there and so many hours put in there. But overall, the achievement seems to be greater than that. And again, you know, just to to try and make the picture a little bit clearer, it's like the effect of the mastermind principle. It's the effect of um, the plough horses, the great shires or the Clydesdales who pull can pull a plough and... um, you know, one Clydesdale, one Shire horse, one great plough horse on its own can pull, for example, 10,000 pounds or 5,000 kilograms of weight. And then if you put two great horses side by side, they can pull over 30,000 pounds or 15,000 kilos of, of weight. Well, it doesn't essentially simplistically add up, does it? If one can pull 5,000, then two can can pull 15. How does that work? Well, that kind of embodies the the compounding effect. So I believe that rituals allow us because of the nature of them to to reproduce them day after day after day after day, allow us to tap into the compounding effect, which will help you and the people you work with produce much more than just uh, the simple um, effect of doing something once. And number three, for me, it works with the plateau. Now, the plateau is something I borrowed from George Leonard's mastery book because uh, it's a fundamental part of George Leonard. And he talks about loving the plateau because, and I'm sure you will all recognize this and you'll recognize it in yourselves and the people you work with and, and aim to inspire that once you set out with a great endeavor, once you set out with that goal, that objective, with all that initial enthusiasm and that that new year resolution vigor, you know, 
a little bit of wisdom and a little bit of age and a little bit of insight will tell you that at some point relatively quickly and it will vary between projects and vary between individuals that you will come across that beautiful thing called a plateau and if you care to stand back and if you care to to look at the bigger picture that is where you will see the first wave of people drop off the people who have this burst of enthusiasm inspired fired up motivated whichever you want to call it and then when it gets tough life gets in the way family relationships occur or financial challenges come along or tiredness fatigue hunger all the things that human beings are blessed with come along and the first wave of people drop off the edge and then it's that few the few who are left or, or, or the remainder who are left to just take the next step. You don't necessarily or certainly probably don't feel like it, but take the next step and stay on. They can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. They can't necessarily feel the end of the road. They don't perceive that the efforts they're currently putting in are their best, but whatever they've done, they've turned up at training, they've turned up at practice, they've put their training shoes on, they've turned up at the office, how many times have people ever ever experienced this where you meet somebody at your environmental place of work, your training, your practice, your office, your meeting room, and you say, how are you? And they say, I'm here. And I've heard that many times. And uh, you could take it, give it a negative connotation, say, well, actually, you've just turned up and you're mentally not here. But, you know, the other thing is that they're the people who are actually there. They've actually made that special effort to get there. And they may not be at that particular moment in time for reasons that we do not understand. We don't know because we don't know the backstory that they are actually still in the game. And being in the game, staying in the game, whether you're in football and badminton or swimming or life or business is actually part of the process. So congratulations, you're still in the game. You are here and welcome to the plateau and if you love that plateau guess what comes next the light will come on you will see the next mountain top and you will actually come out the other side and be able to look back and actually the emotions will change and you will realize that you are one of the few who have actually stuck at it showed some stickability and have actually retained and maintained and you are still in the game so just to summarize why does it work why do i believe rituals work i believe because they dovetail perfectly with human nature they dovetail with the compounding effect and they dovetail with loving the plateau and if we get those three things boxed off ticked off i think we've got a chance and that's why i think rituals are, are so important so next part of this podcast how do we actually implement rituals well if you look at the book atomic habits and the whole thing about atomic habits the, the word atomic probably sums it up in the fact that it talks about making really small changes and utilizing that compound effect so when a spider wants to make a web so that it can catch its food it starts off with one one line of silk 
And over the next few hours and days or however long it takes, it will create that web. But if it doesn't make that one line of silk, it has nothing to start with. When we have a bit an idea and we want to implement something, it begins with one single thought process. And from that thought process, it may go from a thought process onto a whole 10 minutes of daydreaming. It may go onto a discussion. It may take months and then it may go onto paper or onto a laptop. And then it may go to a meeting where there's three or four people. And then it might go to a phone call. And then it might go to an actual physical manifestation of something that we actually think is actually a physical thing where, you know, we actually create the first evidence, if you like, in our physical world of what it is was, that was originally a thought process. But it has to start with something small. So number one, begin small. Take the first baby step, whatever it that is. I think it's a Chinese proverb. Please, again, correct me, email me, let me know what it is. That is it the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step? You know, none of this is new. This is all reminders, isn't it, about things we actually know. And do you not, do you find that, that actually when, when you hear something that you think, you know, that's pretty good, it's almost like fundamentally inside we know it because the, the wisdom of the ages is somehow available to us and we actually really fundamentally at a deeper level know that or knew that. Um, so it, a lot of this is reminders and, you know, please don't think that I'm, I'm creating any of this stuff. It's all stuff that, that that's available to everybody. So take that first baby step, whatever that is, because that will start that process off of momentum. And momentum is massive. Momentum is massive in life. It's massive in sport. You know, it's that uh, Shakespeare's, I think it was Shakespeare, you know, in one of his, I don't know which one it was. Is it, is it um, Merchant of Venice? I don't know. A rising tide raises all ships. You know, if we can get on that wave of momentum. In a football game, you know, it can take one crunching tackle. It can take one decision. It can take one great run by a player or a shot that actually changes the whole mindset of the team or a goal or a decision that goes against us or for us that can change the whole mindset and then we have momentum on our side. So that baby step will give you that momentum. And maybe that's going back to the to the why this works. Maybe that's something having already started this podcast, you know, and it's um, that's how life works. You know, I don't aim to be perfect. That actually, that could be number four, couldn't it? It actually works with the process of momentum. I'm going to write that down because it, I think it actually does. So not only have we got human nature, not only have we got compounding, not only have we got the plateau effect, it actually works with the power of momentum. So take that first baby step no matter what it is. And don't judge yourself because I was guilty of this. How many people have done this in the past where you've been hard on yourself and you've judged yourself and actually you've stopped yourself doing things because you've been your own worst critic instead of just getting on there and doing it and then seeing how it goes and then taking the next logical step. Just the next logical step because I think sometimes we get tied up in the details. We're going from maybe New York to San Francisco or we're going from Edinburgh to, to London. You know, what do we need to know? Well, maybe we just need to know we get in the car and we turn the key and then we put in first gear and we go down the road and then we turn left. Do we need to know that actually on the M25 there's a, a traffic jam? No, not at this particular moment in time because that's four hours down the road. You know, it's good to kind of have that pre 
pre-warning maybe, but um, if we let that traffic jam on the M25 stop us getting into the car and taking the, the first steps, then um, that can be a, a thing that is very, very much a piece of friction in the in the machinery that, that stops us moving forward. So take that baby step. The next one is experiment. You know, if you look at the work of um, uh, Mason Curry in his book Rituals, where he talks about all these great people who had these amazing rituals, what you find out is that they're all different. There are common threads. There are common themes. There are things that they all did, or most of them did. And some of the things that, that seem to be apparent are doing things at a particular time of the day. So it might be that you wish to set up a particular time of the day, and that might be very early morning or might be very late at night. It may be at a certain specific time of the day when you are free, that at that time, as the clock strikes, you ritualistically sit down, stand up, go here, go there, and do whatever it is you need to do physically to start your ritualistic process. It might be that that lasts for a certain amount of time. It might be that you do the same thing. You have a cup of coffee. You have your paper ready. You have your pen there. You have your team with you. You you have your footwear there. You have your equipment ready. And it is all set up so that it's it's actually quite mechanically ritualistic, which means it doesn't involve cognitive questioning or cognitive thought processes to actually get to the point of doing what it is you need to do. Because that is the thing that often is the spanner in the works. That's the thing that derails us, the questioning, the, the our own mind, if you like, or the little devil on our shoulder, or, or the thing that says, do you really want to do this now? Do you need to do this now? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? The interruption, the email, the text message, you know, can we do those things that, that we just do them mechanically. And, and and experimentation is fine because we need to find our own way. Because if you read about all these great people who've gone before who use rituals, they're all different in a way. You know, there's some common threads, as I said, but they're all different. So be prepared to be experimental. Try what works for you. It might be that you can find in your life, as the great book Deep Work talks about, you can find those five hours at a time to do your PhD, to do your meetings, to do your deep thinking, to do your study. It might be that you have to box off an hour at a time over a number of days. It might be that you can actually afford once a month to go away for a week and do your deep work then to do your practice. And listen, we, we are all human beings. We all live our lives which have our own demands and our own environmental influences. So in order to fit in with you so that it doesn't disrupt your life totally, you have to find an experiment. So, you know, you might be tweaking and experimenting for a long time until you find what works for you. And when you find what works for you, you'll be happy, you'll be productive. And, and as, you know, Steve Peters talks about in The Chimp Paradox, happy people are great people. Because fundamentally, if you're miserable doing what you do and it doesn't work for you and it's full of friction and and everything's a grind, at some point you will be derailed. Where if you are in that little momentum field where you just go on and on and on because you enjoy what you do, it's part of your process, it's part of you, it's your identity. And there's another subject there altogether, it's your identity, then it will work for you at a much deeper level. So be prepared to, to experiment. Number four, okay, so actually, factually, 
you know, how can we give you some some examples? Well, I don't know what your what your routine is, and this podcast isn't about me. It's about sharing things that can help you with your teams and some examples what that I've used in in my life in my coaching with my players. I actually take the time, and I got this from the guy who is thought to be the coach of the century, you know, the, the great John Wooden, who actually spent a whole training session at the beginning of the term, if you like, with his with his teams, teaching them how to put on their socks and how to lace up their footwear. Now, how can something so simple that people have been doing for years and years since their parents taught them be necessary? Well, if a player gets a blister or their footwear comes undone in a, in a vital game, as Wooden says, that can cost you a championship. And as he says, he's not prepared to let something like a loose shoelace or a creased sock take away two years' work. So I took a leaf out of his book and much to the, what can I say, surprise of fellow coaches and much to the um, surprise of the actual players, we spent 30 minutes at the beginning of the season going... We got the players sat them down on the grass on the astroturf. It was nice. It was warm. It was it was a, it was a pleasant day. We were outside, and instead of getting up and doing some some physical warm up, as they all expected, because that's what they've done previously, we sat down and I said, "Right, take your shoes off, take your socks off." What? I'll just put them on. Take them off. They all take them off, and then I proceeded to put on my own shoes, and my own socks, and pedantically show them how to fit the sock properly so that it wasn't creased, how to pull the laces. Do this, do that, do the other. And um, we have a little game. We have a fine system where the kids have to bring in a bag of sweets if their shoelaces come undone in a training session because we spent the time showing them how to do it. Because if we go down to 10 men because they haven't tied their shoelaces in a game, I think they need to understand how important that is because it's always the little things that undo you. It's never the big things, okay? How many how many bolts does it take to come out of a crane before the crane becomes a disaster? Just one, okay? There might be 3,000 bolts in a crane, but it only takes one to come loose before something comes amiss. So no such thing as little things. So that's an example. In your own life, you may have rituals that, that, that are completely different than this, but I aim to get up a, at a specific time in the morning. I'm better in the morning. I'm more alert in the morning. It's kind of the way my body seems to work. And the more I get done, the earlier, the better my life seems to be. So I, I aim, first of all, I, I aim to have a digital shutdown so that at a certain time at night, and, you know, that, that that does vary according to the demands I've got on my schedule. But seven or eight o'clock at night, I aim to have a digital shutdown where I turn off my computer, I turn off, you know, my mobile phone so that the there's a relaxation period before I go to bed. And I, I go try to go to bed at a certain time so they get a certain amount of sleep. And again, that will vary between people. But, you know, for me, nine o'clock, it's a good time because... I aim to get up about five o'clock in the morning. Sometimes it's a little bit later, depending on what time I went to bed, but that's the aim, okay? And I don't always succeed, believe me. And I have a an exercise practice in the morning. So my physicality is taken care of. I have a meditation practice so that that, that part of my life is taken care of. And I have a an implemented something that I'm I'm working on at the moment in terms of enhancing my own practice and my own study. I have a reading practice because I was finding that I was struggling to 
grow myself. I was coaching people and leading people, if you like, and, and the players in the team. But I was felt like I was falling behind in my own my own research, my own growth. So I I have put in place a specific time in the morning to do the reading I need to do. And it's not long, it's a few minutes, but actually the compounding effect of a few minutes a day is enormous. I then have a writing practice where I put down on paper what it is I want to put down and what it is I want to formulate so that I can share those things and, and create some some valuable content for the people that um, I'm, I'm trying to help along their way. And uh, at the end of the day, I do a journaling practice where I review what we've done so that I can take some time to evaluate how things went and maybe make a little tweak for tomorrow. And and that reading, that writing, that journal, the exercise and, and, and the meditative practice, they, they're all things that I, I do ritualistically. I don't get up in the morning and I don't ask myself whether I want to do them. I have my mat laid out. I have my clothing laid out. I have my pen available. I have my book available. So they're all there. And, and James in his great book, Atomic Habits, talks about doing this kind of thing. So investigate it further in that book. Go and get hold of it. Um, he talks about putting these things in place so your life becomes easy. So it's a ritual. So before I go to bed, I make sure those things are laid out and they're ready for me the next day. Don't even think about it. In fact, it's harder not to do it. And that's, you know, what? that's a great place to get to. When it's harder not to do it, you know, you've got some things in place that actually are of some value to you. So I hope that's helped. There's just a few examples of how it's worked. And as I say, it's all about you and experimenting at what works for you. Because if you can help the people that you're working with establish, and again, that's what James talks about in Atomic Habits, establish some habits, some practices, you'll be well on your way. And you can strengthen those established practices as you go along. So just start them, take those baby steps. And, uh, you know, it will all help you to do that thing called fighting the battle once. So if you empty your fridge of all the foods that you don't want to eat, the battle's over because they're not available. But if you have, every time you open the fridge door four, four times a day, five times a day, you have to go through the, the same thought process and the same willpower exercise. Ultimately, probably the research suggests that you will fail and you will eat something because it won't go away. Whereas if they're not available, you can't. So you fought the battle once by throwing everything out and making it not available. You know, it's like avoiding the people who drag you down. Fight the battle once and then you don't get involved in, you know, the condemning and criticizing and complaining aspects that uh, sometimes we do. So finally, remember that you listening to this podcast and taking the time to engage in things like this are probably in a minority and it's not about fitting in, it's about being yourself. So by being yourself and setting up your own rituals, guess what? The rest of the world may be and probably and possibly those closest to you as well, because it may have an effect on them, will think you're weird and will think you are obsessed and will think you are on something. And actually it's not fair because it has an effect on them. Well, Welcome to the club, welcome to the world of success and as um, I can't remember who it was, maybe it was Emerson, he said prepare to be crucified because people will criticise you, people will crucify you and say that you know you shouldn't be doing this and you shouldn't be doing that when deep down in your heart, in your soul you know it's right for you 
and it's working for you. So remember, hold on to that strength, be yourself, be prepared to be crucified. And if that's happening to you, great. It means you're on the right track. So I hope that's helped. It's all about rituals, some great resources. Very quickly again, Atomic Habits, Mastery George Leonard, Mason Curry Rituals, Cal Newport Deep Work, and the inimitable Ryan Holiday. Check it out. Let me know what you think. Love to know your thoughts. www.robriles.co.uk, Leader, Manager, Coach. Catch me on Facebook or LinkedIn. And um, have a great week. As always, really appreciate your time. Catch you again. Bye-bye.